you've made it to Impute, the murder, mystery, and mayhem podcast. Oh, I'm Paige. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Sam. (laughs) If you just found us, welcome to the squirreliest true crime podcast. If you stuck around from the beginning, welcome back, you lovely bitches. Welcome back. But listen, after listening to the Albert Fish case for Morbid, it's so fucking disturbing. It, it made me feel sick. More disturbing than Ed Kemper? Like yes. Like, fucking heads? Yeah. Dead heads. Yeah. Because now every time that I see somebody limping or walking with a strange gait, I legitimately wonder if they've put pins in their taint area. Tell us more information <laughs> than I even Today is Sunday, Sam. And then I... God's day, and you're talking about taints. Yes. <laughs> yes, I am. We're about to talk about some fucking murders. So <laughs> no. Any randomness for the day? We had a rager last night, guys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cracked We're... open some cold brewskis. <laughs> and ate some espresso chips. Brian did, yeah. <laughs> and marshmallows. And marshmallows and pretzels. I ate the marshmallows and pretzels. They were tasty. Mm-hmm. That's our crazy Saturday night. Yeah. <laughs> now, when I was exhausted. <laughs> yeah, no shit. You did a lot yesterday. That was a lot of work. Yeah, I like it. Did you ever see the um, macarons that I made? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw them there. Oh, okay. I didn't know if you had... Uh, you got that early enough. I, yesterday was a complete blur. Because <laughs> the event started... But I was there like an hour, hour and a half before, and so I got everything taken care of that I needed to take care of. Yeah, you should have made, you should have told me to get my ass up, and I would have went and helped. Nah, it's totally fine. For some reason, I thought you said that you had it all done last night. Well, it was, it was all done. Well, no, no, no. My, my stuff was done, I just had to set it up. Oh, okay. That's all. Um, because the little sun catcher things that we were making, I needed to still rip up the the tissue paper and mm-hmm. cut the contact paper and all that shit. The kids did a really good job on the white tissue paper. Oh, they did an amazing job. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> it's funny because Brian's, I'm always complaining, like, I feel like I'm the only one that's doing stuff around the house. And then he's like, well, why don't you get the kids to help? I'm like, do you see what happens when I ask the kids to help? Like, the moment that they find that it's a little too difficult, it's over. Give up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Every time. So this is, what, the third episode this week? Yes. Yeah. Oh, speaking of, in the last episode, in Dinahay, I think I switched the two names of the surviving victims when I was talking about their attacks. So they're just reversed. Don't know how I did it, but I did it. Yeah. All those listeners in the UK might get you. Maybe. The (laughs) one that we have over there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they downloaded it at least. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's the uh, only thing I can think of that I've royally fucked up on so far. <laughs> um, we did find out that Tatro, Christopher Tatro from episode three, four? Four. 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 In the death of Roger Zamet and... John Harry. John Harry. He is up for parole next month, and I'm curious to see... Me too. What happens with that, so... We'll keep you updated on that. Mm-hmm. All right. So maybe, as long as I don't do anything crazy, it should be fine. We'll see. What crazy thing do you plan on doing? I don't know. 
I'll try not to type on the, the computer while it's on desk anymore. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because that's a fucking problem that we have to edit out every fucking time. <laughs> but in our, in my defense, like, I've got one, <laughs> one table set up for, like, the tower and the computer and the speaker and all this shit that goes over there. And then I've got another table that sits between the two of us so we can talk to each other. And then where else am I supposed to put my laptop that has all my information on it? Yeah. I don't know. I had a fucking loss. Ah. Anyway, so we are bringing this, or this episode, back to DeKalb County in Tennessee. And I'm going to go over a couple of definitions from KnoxvilleCriminalDefenseLaw.com, only because I want to be very clear what each level of uh, the homicide classifications in Tennessee are, because you need to keep that in mind. So, there's first-degree murder, and this is the form of murder that refers to premeditated and intentional killing of another person. Kill Kit. Kill Kit. Yeah! <laughs> I don't know if that was supposed to be a happy thing, <laughs> Sam. <laughs> it's me! <laughs> <laughs> then there is second-degree murder, and that is a, a, a person may have knowingly killed another individual but did not premeditate their actions. And then voluntary manslaughter is for those who have killed someone in a state of passion due to provocation or other reasons that would cause them to act irrationally. So put a pin Thank in, you. Put a pin in those. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying, Sam. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> All right. So this this story, I, I don't even know how to rate this one on a scale of one to full T-Rex. Because frustration-wise, it's like full T-Rex, but the details of the story are, like, not that intense. Well, like, the gruesome part is not that intense, but the factors of it are heartbreaking and, like you said, frustrating. Exceedingly so. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know how to rate this one. So, true. there's not really... That much of a trigger warning, I guess, because there's not, mm-hmm. not gruesome facts, but right. heartbreaking, frustrating yeah. facts. So on the frustration scale, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like full T-Rex. Yes, it's very frustrating. On the on the true crime portion of the case, it's more of like a two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe three. I agree. So, on October 31st, 2009, a man named Wayne Fisher Jr. was sitting in his home when his wife arrived home from work. This was around 5.30, 6 o'clock on Halloween. Throw that out there. On Halloween. Yep. She decided she was going to go take a shower, and she started. She locked the door as she walked by it, or came in, whatever, and was going to the bathroom area when someone began knocking on their door. Mm-hmm. Probably trick-or-treaters. That's what would one would think. Because it is Halloween. Mm-hmm. According to Fisher, the banging was so hard the pictures fell off the fucking wall. Okay. Mm, yeah. Uh, so he stopped his wife from answering the door, and he was like, I'll take care of it. He opens the door, and no one's there. He peeks his head out a little bit, and he sees his neighbor to the to the right, and he's like, hey, who was just beating on my door? She points out to the person that had crossed the street, dressed in all black, 
and had a mask on. He asked if she knew who it was. She said no. So what kind of mask? Was it like... Screen mask. A screen mask. Okay. Mm -hmm. But you can't see that from that far away. He was walking away. So the way the... To break this up for just a minute. uh, The way that the housing was, there were duplexes. So Fisher and his wife had one to the left and his neighbor had the, the one on the right. And this is looking across the street from Fisher's door. In order to get across the street, you have to go down this little path, go down six steps, and then you're on a sidewalk, and then the street, and then you can move on from there. Mm-hmm. That's important. <laughs> and I'll probably go over that once again uh, later on in the story. So, she points out to this person that is obviously taller, a taller individual, not like five foot flat like myself. <laughs> But you can't tell whether it's a woman, a man, a teenager, a child. It, you can't really tell. Right. Because he is in a hoodie and in a mask. Fisher decides that it is his prerogative to yell at the person that was crossing the road that had banged on his door closer to the edge of his porch and yells out to this masked figure to show some respect for my house and not beat down my door. And to go on down the road... The person in the mask turned around and came back to the sidewalk at the bottom of these six steps. So again, for for the person in the mask to make it up the steps and to the landing, to the landing where the porch is. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a pretty good ways, and there's there's quite a bit of distance. So the masked individual never spoke. He just made hand gestures that could be taken a multitude of ways. So at at some point after the figure continued his silent gestures and Fish continued his terrible attempt at de-escalation, which he said he knew all about during his testimony because he took those fucking concealed carry classes. So they talk about, like, you know, you're not supposed to just draw your gun at the beginning of any conflict or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the last resort. Mm -hmm. He knows all about that. Fisher told the the figure that if he took another step, he would shoot him. Fisher shot one time at the figure. The figure fell and finally removed his mask and said, Mom, I've been hit. This is when Fisher, his wife, Debbie, and the neighbor realized the figure was Debbie's 37-year-old son, Tyler Durden. Mr. Durden was transported to Vanderbilt and passed away shortly after, several attempts at saving his life. Unfortunately, the bullet hit at such an angle that they were not able to save him. That was a very, very brief overview because I'm going to dig into each person's testimony into the, in the trial. But that is that is what everybody in town heard mm-hmm. when they when this the news first hit. Wow. All right. So because I like to talk about the victims in each case, anyway, when I can find them, <laughs> Tyler was a drill sergeant. And an 18-year vet of the U.S. Army. He held the rank of Sergeant First Class. He grew up in a small town and apparently not the best home life when he was younger anyway. There was never any actual discussions of specifics about what happened in the home. Mm-hmm. But Tyler's aunt testifies in the in the trial and she makes some statements that, that kind of confirm that feeling. Tyler joined the military just after graduating. And he also changed his name at some point after becoming an adult. But before his death there's no there was no real explanation of 
or a timeline given with that. So I know that he changed his name after he turned 18, and I think he did it before he joined the military, but I'm, I'm not entirely sure. This date showed a picture of his his daughter and him posing with his uniform on and just like the look of joy on this kid's face. It just, it's heartbreaking. Mm. So that's a little bit about him. It's kind of generic, but his aunt will go into the testimony from his aunt will kind of tell you kind of the person he was. Yeah. And she was the first person to testify. So again, at the, at the beginning of the trial, the prosecution went over a trial, over Tyler's honors in the military, showed photographs of he and his daughter and there were a total of seven witnesses. His aunt, Charlotte, she testified that, t- that Tyler was a prankster. She described his light-hearted, silly antics. She told a story of a time where, that he had FaceTimed her while working, as a drill sergeant, by the way. <laughs> and at the end of the call, he said, bye, Aunt Charlotte, and gave some sort of instruction to his group, and they all jumped in behind him and said, bye, Aunt Charlotte! Aww. And, and just the bittersweet smile on this woman's face. But he would, he would show up to her home even if he was in the area at any time, like it didn't matter to him. He wanted to stay, he wanted to have that connection with his family. And he was really good about keeping um, his daughter involved with the family. Yeah. So did he have his daughter full time? Um, no, only because he was in the military. Yeah. Like he was a very active member. He wasn't, he had, he had been sent overseas multiple times, Mm -hmm. but I'm not entirely sure what the custody arrangement was during the time around his death. I do know that she was not with him that night. So that's a plus. <laughs> yes. The defense asked about Tyler's name at birth. This name was never said during court proceedings and it's a dead name anyway, so I'm not going to dig into it to see what it was. He didn't feel comfortable with it. So there's no point in trying to dig it out. Right. Anyway, so Charlotte explained that she had a hard time with the name change until he told her that he needed to leave that name behind. Charlotte alluded to an abusive home, but again, did not go into detail. But the way she talked about how he wanted to leave leave that name behind gave you the impression that it was not it was not something he wanted to live with. Right. The second person to testify was the neighbor. And I'm going to call her Miss Hillard. I don't remember what her first name is, to be honest. Okay. <laughs> but uh, that uh, the neighbor, Miss Hillard, was the one that was sitting on the porch right beside the Fisher's home. And she was there ready to give candy out to trick-or-treaters. Mm-hmm. Because it was Halloween. Because it was Halloween. She testified that she was on her porch that evening handing out trick or, handing out candy to trick-or-treaters. Again, this was earlier in the night, too, so there was still enough light in the sky that you could kind of see everybody coming and going. It wasn't really necessary to have your porch lights on. She saw someone come around the corner dressed in, in all black and wearing a screen mask. She didn't know who this person was and couldn't tell if the individual was a man, woman, child, or an adult. And, like, there was no distinguishing features. Which, I mean, if you can't tell if it's between a child or an adult, does that really mean that he's very menacing or anything, you know? Like, would you feel threatened? She did not. Exactly. And she was there. She she was sitting there. And she offered... She actually offered candy to him, mm-hmm. but he didn't say anything to her, and, and he just walked right by her. He knocked on the Fisher's door, and she explained that the Fisher's weren't handing any candy out because she assumed he was a trick-or-treater. Right. So he walked away down the little path to get to the steps, went down the steps, and started crossing the street, and that's when Fisher opened the door and asked who was banging on the door. She pointed to the figure. Fisher proceeded to yell out, be careful whose door you knock on. 
The figure turned around and stood at the, on the sidewalk at the bottom of the steps. During the encounter, I'd say conversation, but the figure, who we now know is... Taller. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. He never speaks. Never once says a word until he pulls his mask off. After he's been shot. Yeah. He only uses hand gestures. <sighs> what hand gestures? Like military hand gestures? No. Okay, so at one point... Like the bird? California howdy? <laughs> actually, I'm getting to that. <laughs> so, his tiny dick ramblings of... About how the figure needed to go down the road and keep keep walking away. Mm-hmm. Fisher comes out, calls this figure back, essentially. He makes a series of hand gestures, like I said. Like, opening his arms up wide and tapping his chest. Like, come at me, bro. Pretty much. But still, he doesn't know if it's a child. Right. So he's he's tapping on his chest as if to say, come on then. Just because as Fisher's up there, he's just rambling on with his little tiny dick brain. And he's just making these, these threats. Mm-hmm. And I want to point out, he was within five feet, less than five feet, from his door. So if he felt threatened in any way... He could turn around, walk back into the door, lock the door. Mm-hmm. Because obviously, figure wanted to harm them But to begin with. He would have broke down that fucking door. Yeah. Or found a way into the home. Yeah. I digress. So, he, he does this whole, like, arms open wide, tapping on his chest, bringing his hands out again. So he's just like, come on. If you're going to do something, come on. Mm-hmm. He points at his wrist and, like... Time's wasting, or he's all—he's got all the time in the world. So I figure at this point, the reason why he's not talking is because he figures if he does talk, that he'll know that it's Tyler. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. He's—he's he's, again—he's a prankster. He wanted to go out there and he wanted to mess with them. That was it. And he happened to be close enough that he could do that. And it's Halloween. And it's friggin' Halloween. Like there's kids out there pranking everybody. Mm-hmm. Your houses get rolled. You get egged. Shit happens. Mm-hmm. It is not something to pull your gun out. I mean, what if that would have been like a 17-year-old boy? Oh, I know. I get so irritated. After being threatened with a pistol, because at some point during this exchange, Fisher pulls a gun. Mm-hmm. It's this little revolver pistol. So after after he pulls the gun, the this masked figure points to his own head. Like, he he has like the little, you know... Universal gun sign, I guess, to point to his head. And then he tapped on his forehead. And then he would tap on his chest. And he would... It's like, if you're going to do something, fucking do it. And But he didn't have a gun. He didn't have a knife. He didn't have any... There were no weapons. Any weapon. Mm -mm. Again, only these hand gestures. That's it. At some point during this exchange, Fisher's wife, Debbie, comes to the porch behind, behind him. Debbie and the neighbor, Miss Hillard, begin pleading with Fisher to put the gun away because it's not helping anything. During that time, Debbie calls 911 and is talking to them while pleading with her husband to put the gun away. Miss Hiller says that he wasn't listening, so she thought maybe if her husband came outside, he could help de-escalate. Mm-hmm. So she says where she was sitting, there was a window that was open right beside her, and her husband was inside the living room area playing games or something. So she turned around to yell for her husband to come out. And during the time that she was looking away, that's when Fisher shot the gun. Did he aim for his heart? He did not. Or at least he says he didn't. He says he was aiming for the ground. But, again, remember that angle? What was the angle? 
<laughs> where there were six steps plus a little bit of a path and then the porch. Mm-hmm. You know, he was, he was pretty good ways away. My thing is, why would you shoot a gun when there's a whole bunch of kids around trick-or-treating? That's a good question. At the ground, because it could have ricocheted mm-hmm. and hit a kid. Mm-hmm. But remember, he went to that class, mm-hmm. so he knows gun safety. He knows gun safety. So, once the bullet struck the figure's chest, they then realized who the masked figure was when he said, Mom, I've been shot. This was the first time he spoke during the entire encounter. So, how did Fisher react? Yeah, I'll get to that in a minute. Okay. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going, <laughs> just because his, his testimony brings that full T-Rex writing. Right on in. So I've only heard about it. I haven't actually like yeah. researched any of it. So this is new information for me. Yeah. No, it's okay. So I want to point out that this this neighbor says that the masked man stayed at the bottom of the steps. Mm-hmm. She says she doesn't recall him ever moving anywhere, like moving up the steps at any point. Right. When he was shot, he was at the bottom of the steps. Again, put a pin in that. So another neighbor that lived about three doors down or so stated that she was on the front porch when the incident occurred. She reported a person in all black clothing and a screen mask had passed her home. She offered him candy and the figure kept walking. She was further away and couldn't hear what was being said. But essentially, so she saw this figure. He, he got close enough for her to say, hey, do you want some candy? And he kept walking. Got to the Fisher's place. She saw him knock on the door and start to walk away. And then she saw Fisher come out and start his tiny dick man yelling. Then she saw the exchange, but couldn't really tell what was really happening. And then she heard the shot and the man fell. The fourth person to testify was Detective Brian Williams. He was the first on the scene. He was off duty at the time. And he's a volunteer, a volunteer firefighter. And was just down the street from the the Fisher's home. Like, within a few hundred yards. Within that same little community area. Liberty's tiny. It is. (laughs) So, so he was at the fire hall giving away hot dogs, drinks, and candies, and stuff like that. Mm, He was just... Hot dogs. Hot dogs. He heard the shot. And then dispatch had gotten on the radio and said there was an active shooter involved in the Eggle Heights area. So, he immediately jumped in his truck and went in that general area because he wasn't sure what <laughs> what was going on, obviously. It yeah. was just a general statement of there's an active, active shooter. So when he arrived, he saw a person lying by the sidewalk and a silhouette of a man in the doorway with a pistol in his right hand. The detective instructed him to put the gun down, get on his stomach, and crawl out of the home onto the porch. He instructed him to put his hands behind his back, and during this in- interaction, Fisher was compliant. So... He gets there, sees Fisher in the doorway, still mm-hmm. holding the gun. Yeah. He's not pacing. He doesn't seem overly upset. He's just standing there with the gun. Yeah. Tells him to put it down. He puts it on, like, a little ottoman type thing. You know, those, like, nursing uh, rocking chairs? Yeah. They mm-hmm. had one of those. And it has, like, the little foot prop that goes along mm-hmm. with it. He, he put it down there. And he followed the instructions that the uh, detective gave him. And that's pretty much all that he knew because, again, he was off duty. He, this wasn't his assigned case. He just... He happened to be in the area, and he, he reacted. So he had a calm demeanor. Yeah. And set yeah. the firearm down. So when he, got, when he got to the porch, as he was lowering himself, he had pulled 
I guess he had pulled a card or something out of his wallet or wherever, and he put it beside him. He said, this is my attorney. Okay. Yeah. I already don't like him. <laughs> Same. <laughs> so, the next person to testify was the TBI agent Elizabeth Williams. No relation to the previous Williams. Her testimony was very procedural. She kind of spoke about the normal procedures one would go about dealing with a crime scene, what tests they would conduct, and then kind of the things that they they found there. One very important thing to note is there were no weapons on or near Tyler. Mm-hmm. None. None. He had a Walmart bag in his hand at the time. It had a couple of pieces of candy and a receipt from where he bought the mask and the hoodie at the Clarksville Walmart around 2 p.m. that day. I want to say it is kind of strange, though, that he passed so many people didn't say anything. Mm-hmm. But I know that he was wanting to prank. Mm-hmm. But still, that is a little weird, though. I'm not going to say it's not odd. He was very committed to whatever the fuck he was doing. Yeah. <laughs> because, I, I, I mean, Liberty is a tiny town, mm-hmm. so I'm sure if he would have said anything to anyone, they'd be like, oh, Tyler's home, mm-hmm. you know, or Tyler's here, or whatever. Yeah. So, I understand why he didn't do it, but that is, people that, I guess, fr- that are not from a small town, mm-hmm. they would probably think that that was strange. Yeah. But again, Halloween. My children are so fucking wild. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what they were saying. I don't I don't know, but see, my husband's supposed to be uh he's containing doing, them. He's doing a great job. Bang up job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's that's pretty much what she she talked about, like what the what they found. They she talked about where they found the gun, how many unused bullets were in the in the chamber. She said there was one spent bullet. The next person to testify was Dr. Aaron Carney. She was the forensic pathologist. She had an impressive CV. I didn't realize this, but whenever a pathologist or the person conducting the autopsy testifies, they mm-hmm. essentially bring their resume. Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> so you, she talked about where she studied, what programs she um, was involved in, all the awards that she'd ever uh, won, the papers that she had wrote, everything. Anything that would back up her credentials. Okay. Like that's that's what's on the CV. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so she conducted the autopsy on, on Tyler. And they showed a picture before they started the autopsy. And that picture will never leave anyone's mind that was in the courtroom. Because it had to show his face as well. Because if they did not, then they could, the defense could say that it was not him. Right. But in this picture, you could see that there was an obvious bullet wound to his chest. Mm -hmm. She described the downward trajectory of the bullet entering his chest, went through his ribs and his liver before lodging further down his spine. I want to point this out once again. The trajectory goes from his chest near one of his nipples to the opposite side of his spine. So I think it went left to right. So it was the left side of his chest and then the right side of his um, his spine okay. is where it was found. Mm-hmm. But there was also a very much downward trajectory. Right, because he was lower than him. Right. He was down the stairs. Again, I keep hammering this in. You'll understand. The final person to testify was Fisher himself. Mm-hmm. And what did he have to say? 
I love my notes. It says, try telling this without saying he just wanted to use his gun to hide the fact that he has a tiny little dick. Well, Sam, tell us how you really feel. I'm going to feel in some sort of way. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> so at the time of the shooting, Fisher and Debbie were only married for about eight months. They're only together for eight months? Yeah. Or married for eight months? Mm-hmm. Were they together longer? I think it was a very short relationship before marriage. Because apparently, Tyler had tried to convince his mother not to get married. Oh, no. It's fucking frustrating. So I want to point out that during the actual trial, they these things that I've said, this is what was brought up. But in the sentencing hearing, there were completely other sets of facts that should have been heard. And I'll explain that in a minute. Okay. So... Fisher testified that he was at home sitting in his rocking chair when his wife, Debbie, arrived at home. Again, this was around 6 o'clock sometime. Shortly after she came home, a banging on the door began. According to Fisher, some picture frames shook and fell off the wall. He stopped his wife from opening the door to tell the person they weren't handing out candy. He opened the door and asked the neighbor who was banging on his door. When she pointed out the figure in black with a screen mask, he decided to yell, and I'm saying this in quotes, by the way, this is what he said, so, show some respect for my house and not beat on my door. <laughs> and the person turned around and walked back to the bottom set of, of the sidewalk. Fisher stated he told him to go go on down the street. Then the person came up to the first step. He began making come-to-me gestures with his hands, is what he's saying. So, like, and he had to, to demonstrate, like, patting at his chest and opening his arms and just kind of repeating that motion. Yeah. After he... Again, told him to get on up the street. Fisher stated the the man started doing a little dance. A little dance? Yeah, he did a little dance. What kind of dance? Did he demonstrate that too? No, he did not. Mm. Um, Then he took another step toward the porch. Fisher claims he he has a concealed carry permit. He drew an order and ordered the person to not come any closer. Instead, the man stepped or hopped, rather, to the third step and pointed his index finger at his own chest and to his head. The man climbed the fourth step. Fisher said he drew back the hammer as a warning and warned him again. He fired as the man reached the the fifth step. After the shot, Fisher said the man fell, took off his mask, saying, Mom, I've been hit. So he fell down the stairs. That's what he's saying. Was there any bruises or anything like that? Was he? No. Mm. no. Fisher testified that he felt threatened by the man who claims that did not have a weapon. Yeah. Who he claims kept coming up the steps toward him even after he pulled the pistol. He didn't fear the gun. I thought he was kind of he was coming to attack me or my wife. Tyler Durden was an 18-year vet. I am sure he was in a whole hell of a lot of scarier situations than a tiny little man who had a fucking pistol pointed at him. Yeah, I don't think he was scared. No. No, of course he wasn't scared. Again, if if Tiny Man there was terrified, like he said he was, he could have turned his ass right around, told his wife to get in the fucking house, get in, close the door, and lock it. I so mean, he didn't, he didn't have a weapon. Nope. He didn't threaten him. Nope. He was just annoying him, pretty much. Yeah. He was being strange. I feel comfortable saying that it would be strange. 
Oh, I mean, yeah, that would be strange. Yeah. The neighbor, the neighbor was also, the neighbor that was sitting beside them said that it made her feel a little uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but, but it wasn't enough for her to get up and go into the house either. She didn't feel uncomfortable until right. Douche Canoe came outside. That That's true. She didn't, she didn't feel uncomfortable by Tyler's appearance, even though she didn't know who he was. But she would have known if he would have said something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because everybody knows everybody. Everybody. <laughs> so, I want to point out the fact that he said the person had been stepping up to the last step when he shot him. So, I'm going to bring you back to the pathologist's testimony. From the chest, through the rib, through the liver, and lodged in his spine in a downward traje- trajectory. Yeah, so he had to have been lower. So, the porch is only like... I don't know, not even a full foot above the sidewalk that you would have to get to to get to the the steps. Shooting him at that angle would not have caused that trajectory. And during the pathologist's testimony, the defense asked if the bullet had hit a rib, would it have ricocheted? And she said no. So what does that mean? So it would not have... Hit a rib, going straight, and then pointed down. Oh, okay. It was a very clear path. Okay. You understand my frustration. <laughs> yes. The jury deliberated for about an hour and 15 minutes and reached a verdict after the six-hour trial. They came back with a verdict of guilty for voluntary manslaughter instead of second-degree murder. And voluntary manslaughter... How, how many years do you get on that? <laughs> Not enough? Mm-mm. It carries a three to six year sentence. Three to six years. So, because I am the way that I am, I always look at WJLE, which is the website that, that DeKalb County has. And in this article that it was talking about the trial and everything, it said that ADA Greg Strong spoke to the reporter for WJLE. We sought the second degree murder conviction. We thought that is what the facts warranted in this case. Yes. So we are not happy about the verdict, but when you try a case to the jury, that's sometimes how it goes. As sucky as it is, apparently that's the case. The defense attorney, Michael Offinger, said, although he sought an acquittal, all things considered, he was satisfied with the verdict of manslaughter. It's obviously a lesser charge included offense. For now, I am happy with it. But ultimately, it's Mr. Fisher's decision what happens after sentencing sentencing in terms of seeking a new trial. I hope she divorced him. You're shitting me. No, they're still together. Okay. So another attorney who was assisting Offinger had, had this to say to the reporter. Voluntary manslaughter is adequate provocation. So the jury found that there was some role that the victim played in the defendant's actions. I'm not going to name this man, but I want to throat punch him. So if that doesn't piss you off, you apparently weren't fucking listening. The problem with this this man's testimony mm-hmm. is that, one, again, if the man had stepped up from the sidewalk and gotten closer to him, the trajectory of the bullet would not have been as steep. But there is a very big difference between your chest and your liver. That is a very large area to cover. 
Mm-hmm. And it punctured his liver. Yeah. Also, it was fucking Halloween! <laughs> yes, it was Halloween. There was a bunch of kids everywhere. Everywhere! And so at that kid. time, I think it was it was slightly slower as far as in that particular little cluster. But still, it was Halloween. The person was dressed up. It could have been a fucking teenager. Mm-hmm. It definitely could have been. Or... In, in my fucked up brain over here, I'm like, what if that was a kid who had some sort of disability that could not communicate effectively? Yeah. And he shot him. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. The outcome of that trial, if that were the case, would be much different than what happened, and I don't understand that. He would have He would have gotten a second degree murder conviction if it was somebody other than his stepson. Yes. So then there's the the whole idea that this tiny dick man obviously wanted to prove that he was big and bad, so he had to pull out his thirty eight. I mean, what better way to prove that? What better way to show you have a big one? <laughs> That's what I wrote. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh... <laughs> okay, seriously, don't take this as I'm against guns because I'm not. There's there's a Second Amendment for a reason. But this man should have never been allowed to carry. Well, no, he went to the classes. I don't give two fucks. He should have. He should have never. Also, and I don't know if I, I don't think I mentioned this during the testimony, but he talked about how he was at home in the the rocking chair when his wife got home because he doesn't have a job because he's on disability. So, I'm wondering: one, what is this disability? Does he have to take medication for it? Does that impair him? We don't get those answers. Hmm. That is a good, that, I mean, I didn't even think about that. But I also didn't know he was on disability. You also did not. <laughs> but even if I did know, I probably wouldn't have thought about that, to be honest. And then also, I happen to know a lot of people. We live in the South. We, we know a lot of people that have the ability to conceal carry their weapons. Mm-hmm. How many people do you know that go in their house with their gun on their hip and don't take it off? Mm, that is a little strange. Right. So he doesn't mention that he got up to go get the gun and go to the door. So they were playing on the fact that he still had it attached to him. But if he's at home all day, why the fuck does he have it on his hip? Yeah. This is this is what's bothering me because if, one, he had it on his hip, that just seems unstable to me. <laughs> because the majority of the people that I know that, that do carry their guns on a regular basis, there is a spot in their house higher up away from children if they have them. That it always goes, and it's usually closer to the door. Like, there is a spot. Or half the time, they leave it in their vehicle. Or they or they leave it in their vehicle. <laughs> but, like, they don't carry it with them when they're inside their home. Yeah. So, again, was he just sitting there with his fucking gun in his lap? Or on his hip, or whatever the fuck it was, and then decided to go outside? What's his or, IQ level, too? Is it lower? I don't know. If If he had a psychological, they did not discuss it. They should have. But anyway, I'll point this out once again. If he was so afraid for his life, his safety and his wife's safety, they could have gone into the house, closed the door, locked it, and called 911. Yeah. Which the wife was already calling 911. And then, let's just let's just pretend that the, the picture frames did actually fall off the wall, which is very unlikely. Those types of houses have very thick doors. Oh, yeah, they're like metal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So somebody knocking on it normally would probably sound like somebody's banging because of, of, like, it wouldn't be like knocking on a wood door. Right. 
But it wouldn't have knocked off the fucking picture frames. No. He was exaggerating. Absolutely. He was trying to make it sound like there was a reason for his actions and there was no reason for his actions. Mm -hmm. But again, he walked out of that door and called the man back. He was trying to emphasize that he was telling him to keep on going, but he continued to argue with him. He had to have the last word. He did. My frustration at that other attorney's statements about how the victim played a role in his own demise. Yeah, how Tyler pretty much asked for it. Yeah. Not cool. Yeah, no, not in any way, shape, or form is that okay to ever fucking say. And if I ever meet the man, I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. It is in no way Tyler Durden's fault that he was shot in the chest in front of his mother. No. Was it weird that he wasn't talking? Absolutely it was. But... Was it weird that he was wearing a mask? No, because it was fucking Halloween. Halloween. Yeah, it was Halloween. And, again, the reason why I think he wasn't talking is because they would know that it was him. Yeah. And then he wouldn't be able to, you know, do his prank or whatever he was doing. And, unfortunately, we're never going to know at this point. So, I told you that there was, there's some different statements made in the actual trial and the sentencing sentencing hearing. In the sentencing hearing, you got to hear his... The person that he called his father. It wasn't his biological father, but it was his father. He talked about how Tyler had come to him and did the same thing. And In the did. mask, the, the black hoodie didn't say a fucking word. Mm-hmm. And that didn't end in his death. Alright, so during the sentencing hearing, the presiding judge, Wesley Bray, said, and, I, and this is in quotes from the website or from the article while i respect the jury's verdict of manslaughter i cannot understand it given the proof in this case same apparently both mr fisher and his wife debbie testified during the sentencing hearing and while you would think that a mother's statements would be oh i've lost my son that is what this has cost me it was we don't get to buy a house now why don't they get to buy a house now because he now has to go to prison for six years Six years. Wow. That's her priorities? That's her priorities. Yeah. See, they were saving up to, to buy a house, and then, then all of this terrible stuff happened, and now they don't get to do that. Not that she lost her, her son. I can't comprehend. Mm-mm. Yeah. I would be devastated. I would probably have to be buried with him. Mm-hmm. There's... Mm-mm. That is awful. But if he had an abusive childhood, she might have been the reason why he had that abusive childhood. It seemed that way, but I think it, the she was more of the passive abuser, it seemed like. Like, the brought, her, brought. his biological father, I think, was more abusive than... Mm-hmm. She was indirect. Yes. She just let it happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She didn't stop it. So she obviously has great taste in men. Um, Judge Bray went on to say, I don't understand why you thought it was a good idea to pull the gun, even though he had a permit to conceal carry. He said that his actions that night gave a black eye to lawful gun owners who carry for protection. Facts. Mm-hmm. Greg Strong, the DA, said, I hope I hope this sends a message that pulling a gun is not the first option because that is the first option he, meaning Fisher, chose. He didn't try to de-escalate the situation and there was no gun training out there that doesn't teach you de-escalation first. It is always hammered in that it's de-escalation first. He never tried that. 
No, he escalated it. Absolutely he, he did. did the opposite. So, Fisher will be given credit for the time served. And it wasn't a lot, because after he... He was released shortly after he was arrested for shooting and murdering his stepson. And was out on bail for, like, two years. How much was his bail? They didn't make it an ungodly amount? I don't know, to be honest. I don't know, well, but he, he paid it. that's why he the house. That's, that's probably what it was. But, yeah, so he... Freaking frustrating. So he was out just roaming the streets for two years. Yep. How the fuck do you murder somebody and then get out on bail and just be free? So wrong. And I'm sure, I'm sure that it was brought up that he could be violent or whatever and that's why, uh, whatever. And then he was out on bail for two years. They could say, well, he's not a violent man. He didn't, he didn't kill anybody else. But nobody fucking knew. Nobody knew that he was out. You knew. You fucking knew. Every episode. (laughs) (laughs) So he he will be eligible for parole within two years. Where is he at? I actually don't remember. We're going to pause this for a second so I can Google. So as as we were uh, Googling, we realized that he's not on the felony offender registry for the state of Tennessee because it is a misdemeanor. A Class C misdemeanor in Tennessee to be convicted of voluntary manslaughter. That's, um, quite fucked up. It makes me angry. (laughs) That's my story of the death of Sergeant First Class Tyler Durden. This is, this has been fucking frustrating. I told you. Full T-Rex is frustrating level. How are we going to go from full T-Rex of frustration to neutral? That is a great question, Sam. I'm so glad you asked. I don't fucking know. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm still upset. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. You don't have a random... I am not prepared today. I mean, there's always that one where... um, I learned from my sister-in-law that bear cats' buttholes smell like buttered popcorn. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I thought you used... Did we not use that No. I think um, we may have, but I, I think... It was messed up. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. So, so there's that. So if you're ever out in the woods where bear cats roam and you smell buttered popcorn... Run. Get the fuck away. <laughs> get the fuck away. Buttered popcorn. Yeah, that's gross. That is gross. That is very gross. Well, you know raspberry flavoring is from beaver anal glands. That's gross, but imitation vanilla? Mm-hmm. Skunks' buttholes. <laughs> Why are we getting things from animals' buttholes? Apparently it's tasty. I don't know. <laughs> That's gross. <laughs> Sam. <laughs> I don't know, but I don't ever buy imitation anything at this point. I, I buy the... the Real deal? Real, real shit. Most of the time it's Well, the, I mean, it is real shit. Uh, no. From animals. That's gross. Niggas go full T-Rex for a whole nother reason. But how how do you find out that it's tasty? I don't. Do you just go no. nose deep? Somebody was very much in in their bubble. <laughs> I mean, but for real, like, how do you find these things out? I don't know. Makes no sense. We're gonna have to ask somebody. We're gonna have to Google it. Google, Google. Thanks for sticking around to this point. Be sure to share our dumbasses with your friends, family, or even a random person on the internet, or in person. Though I'm not entirely sure I recommend that. Sam, tell them where they can find us. 
every fucking where. <laughs> no, uh, you can find us on the Facebook, the Twitter, and the Instagram. And where can you listen to our dumbasses? Everywhere. Seriously, all the major uh, platforms that you get your podcast, we are most likely there. And if we're not, let us know and we'll try to make it happen. You can reach us at any of the social and at M3, that's the number three, truecrimepod at gmail.com. For your ear hole enjoyment. <laughs> For your ear hole enjoyment.